I don't have friends. I got family. 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 Your family. Look at our family now. family whole again? You don't turn your back on family. Your code is about family. That's the only way you're gonna keep your family safe. Brother never told you never threaten a man's family. Thank you for the little angel, the newest addition to our family. Almost killed my family. Juan was my family too. But what's real is family. Welcome back analysis listeners i want to welcome in two men who live their life a quarter mile at a time mr adriel mello and matt Pataglia. i since this podcast started in the three minutes leading up to it i feel that bob doesn't really want to be here given the content of the movie that we're discussing okay let me let me label this as we get started my goal in the mindset of family is to respect you. Familia. My goal is to actively listen and understand inside the mind of a Fast and Furious fan. Now, anyone that listens to the podcast probably knows these movies aren't my bag, okay? I'm from Metro Detroit, Michigan, and I don't even really give a shit about cars. So once you also involve the spectacle that I believe these movies have become, because I haven't seen them in a very long time, I haven't seen um, anything past number one, right? These just aren't my thing, but I know they're your thing. And I don't think it makes for compelling radio for me to just sit here and say, it's not my thing. So I want to respect you. You guys have been asking for the opportunity to come on and talk about this franchise, which you love. So I'm going to present you an opportunity and I'm going to be open-minded to the journey of the Fast franchise. Is that fair? The Fast franchise requires the most opened of minds. (laughs) Now, I will say to peel back a layer there, being from Detroit, Michigan, would you say there's something to the notion that cars were also part of the downfall of said metro area? And thus, there's a seed of hate that has been planted long before the Fast and Furious, Furious franchise was I'm, I don't know if we have enough time for that, uh, Therapist Mello, but, uh, and I'm also from Detroit-ish. I'm from Royal Oak, Michigan, which is like the, the white the Naperville. Yeah, That's Naperville like Crystal Lake is Chicago. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm yeah. south side of Crystal it's, Lake. So it's suburbs, yeah. So um, not yeah. necessarily from Detroit, but you know, the industry did impact the city greatly uh, for the better and for the worse. So you're yeah. right, Mello. I, I, just, I just never really cared about cars the way and we have something in michigan called the woodward dream cruise which is this in and when eminem sings about eight mile he's talking about you know woodward is this main eight lane drag that people would race cars up and down or just cruise to impress people with their their car and so to celebrate that they have in august this giant at the people from all over the country come and they show off their cars and I've, that was always my least favorite part of the year. I just hated it. And I've never cared. I never cared about, oh, that's a 65 Barracuda. That's a color that wasn't in, I, I don't care. I don't care about what's under the hood. I've never, I, I drive a Chevy Cruze, right? So it's just, the, uh, cars were always essential to me, but uh, not, nothing that I really care. I'm not Jay Leno. 
you know, out so here. To, with the to be fair, I think the car lover stopped going to these movies for the cars after the second one. I think fair the enough. first, I think the first one they were into it. I think the second one they thought they were into it. And I think by the time the third one came around, it was irrelevant, especially then four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So you're teeing it up really well here, Bataglia, because we've had 20 years of fast franchise movies and it's a little statistics for you gentlemen because I do my research even with franchises that don't necessarily strike a a chord in my heart but uh, seventh highest grossing franchise ever made that's six billion dollars of revenue and that's not counting the new movie that comes out so it's it's likely going to grow 12 billion it is the tentpole franchise for Universal Studios it is, it's really one of the most important, or at least the franchise that's been developed over the last 30 years, which is an individual property. It's not rehashing Star Wars. It's not coming from a book series. It's its own thing. So you can't argue with the success. And it really is one of the last franchises where people look at it as a must-see in theaters. It's a very theatrical, it's a very event type of thing. And it's got a ravenous fan base and that is you guys so i'm just here to pick your brains and understand what makes you tick so i guess let me start with adriel to be respectful to him in the in the line of command and in the the chain of importance but Mello, can you come in and talk to me about how you feel about the current state of the franchise in general i think the audience has grown with the franchise so this last movie, to give you a frame of reference, because okay. I know you didn't go to watch it, but Tagli and I were there opening weekend, of course. You guys dress up, right? You guys dress like Dom Toretto with the black tank top, the same way that a Star Wars guy would dress up, right? So that was the plan. Uh, I was going to get it. <laughs> this will, well, if you've seen the first one, you'll, you might understand. I was going to get me and Melo some t-shirts with a couple of movie quotes. Mine was going to say tuna, no crust, which for, uh, diehard fans goes all the way back to the first we don't dress up anymore i was going to be dom he was going to be letty okay gonna be nice um i will say in this movie there was more laughing than i've ever heard across any of the other theater audiences uh that had tuned in for any of the other uh (laughs) any of the other sequels so i think the movie has stopped taking itself that serious. And I think the audience has caught up. Fate of the Furious, the last one, it was rough. It was a rough, rough watch. Now, it was in line with where the movie was going and the level of ridiculousness. And I don't want to take away from the ninth installment because it did, and we'll get to it later, it did put them in space. And so the level of ridiculousness was, the ante was up. But the thing there, is that the audience was ready for it. The audience was laughing. The movie almost kind of moved you along in that manner. And I think everyone's on the same page now and they're allowed and they have almost that that leeway to get even nuttier. So I'm excited for the 10th, which is gonna be a two-part series for my research. There's two installments left, but it's I guess it's two parts of the same movie, kind of like the, the Avengers. And which makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, and so, I expect no less of of ridiculous nature than was in nine. So please, both of you. So these movies started. The first one was tactical. 
It was point break on cars, but it was, it was tactical. It was grounded. The big stunt was like at the end, they jumped the train track and that was like the big woo moment. The second one was a little bit le- still grounded, an action movie nonetheless, a wild plot. But the big stunt was then they jump from the pier onto a boat. Okay. Third one is in Tokyo. Nah, not great, whatever. I kind of don't really put that one with the rest. And that doesn't have the main players in it, right? That no, it doesn't. They bring them back. They loop them in. The, that movie loops into the rest, but it's a stretch. And then as you get to the fourth and fifth, it's like, man, then we're starting to make some jumps here. We're no longer jumping train tracks, but like these cars are doing things that like are a little bit outlandish. We're making like, jumps literally, but we're also making jumps well, in terms of the well, fantasy of yeah, like, happening. In- yeah, but like every movie had like one or two big ones, but by the time we hit six, seven, eight, and now nine – it's almost like people were thinking like, oh man, these movies are getting a little crazy. And then the studio realized, man, these movies are getting pretty crazy. Let's see how far we can take this. And like Melo said, then it was like, all right, who's going to get there first? Is it going to be the audience that's like blown away by this? Or is it going to be the people within the movie finally catch up and realize like, this is just outlandish. And I don't think, I'm not convinced that the crew or the cast of the movie realized that they were the brunt of the joke until this movie, because Vin Diesel and uh, and The Rock got into a little bit of a beef on set like four movies ago. And, <laughs> and Vin Diesel was quoted in saying, as a producer on this movie, I try to get the best out of my actors. So I pushed him to the next level. It's like, dude, you're not out here making an Oscar movie. You're making The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. You're, not, you're not Day-Lewis here, it, meta and character. It's like... Yeah. So I, think, I think I can pinpoint when the movie went off the rails in the franchise. Okay. So in four, it was it was a stretch, but okay, they're at large internationally. So the FBI is involved, but they're still just street racers. They're not having them do anything crazy. Now they're just street racing in Mexico, and they're gonna go, you know, save whatever it might be. So the plot there, not 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 too crazy. In the fifth installment, they're still on the run because they broke Toretto, Vin Diesel, uh, out of prison. and Well, before he got to prison, in transit to prison, they broke him free. Um, and in fifth, they're on the run. They're hiding in Brazil. Still believable. Still not too, not too crazy, not too much of a stretch. The Rock gets plugged in. Yep. The actual man, and I don't want to besmirch his name, but the man on roids puts roids and gear into these into this movie and into this franchise and what happens in that movie sets the tone for six through nine because in the fifth one phones we back me up here tell me if i'm wrong the moment that they strap the bank vault to two cars and use it both offensively and defensively as a weapon against other moving vehicles that's when the movie went off completely off the rails yeah I would agree, because by the time we got to the next one, which was six, there were tanks, and that was when they started using cars to break people's falls, which has been a trope that has stayed in these movies from six through nine, where people land on cars, and they out loud say, how did you know that car was going to be there to break our fall? And it's like, just faith, baby. (laughs) Yeah, family. So... Okay, so I, I hear what you guys are saying, and, and if I'm hearing correctly, this, this reminds me of a Michael Scott moment in The Office. Hang with me here while I break this down. So there's a point in The Office, I can't remember what season, but Michael is so in debt that he has to take a side job 
at a call center. But because he's not the boss, people think he's cool. And he's talking about how he's developing a film script and everyone's just kind of in the bay listening to Michael talk and wax poetically about movies. And he's talking about Die Hard. And he goes, the first Die Hard is practical and he's walking across glass and he's the everyman. And then he's like, by the time we cut to this current Die Hard, he's running a car into a helicopter and the set pieces have gotten so ridiculous and it's lost some of its charm. And I think with me only seeing the first one, the first one's actually a real movie like i think matt you said practical effects like the, the the effects are highway chase scenes but there's stuntmen and it's not just cgi land and it's it's a, it's a practical movie i think if you watched it now you'd be like what what i think if you parachuted in at fast five like Melo's talking about with the with the bank vault and then you go back to watch one for the first time if you've never seen it you'd be like these are two totally different movies and so it, it becomes kind of the, the charm of the, the evolution of the franchise seems to become what set piece, what insane set piece are we going to see next? And as somebody that's only witnessed these movies through trailers, I'm watching The Rock hanging out of a Humvee and kicking a missile to move it away from his car, but towards it offensively, defensively, and he's okay. kicking the missile. I'm like, oh, okay, this is... This is totally beyond what originally had started 20 years ago. Yeah, that was a that was a submarine torpedo, and it's torpedo. funny that you it was funny that you used the phrase parachute in at some point because in movie seven they parachute their cars out of an airplane to land at a certain place. So you take your Bruce Willis analogy of becoming you know taking down cars with helicopters, multiply that by a thousand. Yeah, we're we're and I believe we're seven, so far beyond that. Seven is where it stopped being about just being fast but also about being furious, which is important. Tell me more, Mello, because there, I, I don't see a lot of furious behavior in this. Tell me about why Seven is furious. Well, the first several movies, there's a big emphasis on the NOS and the little boost that I've never been in a car when someone's hit the NOS. I don't think I've been near a car that has NOS in real life. I don't know what that effect actually feels like. Have you ever had a car that had an emergency brake that you pretended was the NOS? NOS. Yes. Well, I did drive a 93 Nissan Altima and when you turned off the air conditioning, it did get 10 miles per hour faster. So That is the NOS. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, so in seven, they finally gave, and they were due and done away with the gimmick of the NOS and we're going to use it in a bunch of different offensive type of manners like for example in too fast too furious they use the nas canisters the the additional spare nas uh to ejecto seat the companion rider which are the cuban gang members who are alongside for essentially to commit murder at the end of them accomplishing okay task in, in too fast too furious so they find all these different ways to use nas finally in the seventh movie they're like, okay, guys, we, I think we've done everything we possibly could have done. I had no uh, more NOS bits. We need to do something else. And so that, I think, is the first time Dom has a car that now also doubles as a tank. He has, he's got literal tank tread instead of wheels, and that gets parachuted from the sky. Um, and it was the first time that they kind of changed the gimmick. And it's like, we're not just about fast cars. To Batagula's point from earlier, they don't even mention what type of car it is anymore. It was a huge point in the first three 
oh, that's an, you get the Evo, that's a Supra, that's the Skyline. It made you aware of all these cars. Like I wasn't a car guy. I knew all the name of all those cars after those movies. I couldn't tell you what Dom drove once in this, in the last three movies. It's the same car, but they never mentioned what it is. I'm sure car guys would know, but I have no idea. It's American muscle and imports. American muscle for Dom, imports for Paul Walker. For, for the Busta. For the Busta. So, so Bob, your, your whole question was, how, how have these movies gotten here? They've evolved in the terms of the action. They've devolved in every other regard. Every, every plot and character. I yeah. couldn't tell you what Fast 9 was about. I couldn't tell you what Fast 8 was about. At one point halfway through the movie, I looked at Melo and I said, what is this movie about? And we were probably like an hour and a half in. What's the goal of any of these people? <laughs> like they, they jumped right into the they didn't even try to in any way develop a plot in this one they just hit you about i want to say 120 seconds in we already had cars flying off cliffs yeah it's basically like grand theft auto meets vin diesel that's basically it's just like what the, the joys that you get from playing grand theft auto and just having unlimited artillery and you can just take any car you want out of the garage that's pretty much the level set of the starting line at a fast movie today i'm that's from what i'm hearing from you. that is a phenomenal analogy all right thanks I was going to say, I don't want to take away. I, I feel like what we're talking about almost makes it seem like me and Bataglia are not fans of this movie. We, we are all in. We are all in. We will be there opening weekend of the next two movies. These are incredible. And guess what? For all the shame and all the shit that we're giving them, people can't recreate this. Yeah. They're trying in their own way. And you know what? Fucking Dominic Toretto, Vin Diesel himself, goes off to do Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage and run the same gambit that he's doing with the Fast and Furious franchise? Because my man thinks he can double dip. My man thinks he can have two toes and two ponds, make the same kind of money, because guess what happens in that movie? He puts together a super team, very similar to how he does in Fast Five. And then all the subsequent movies, it's the same squad. But they try to do the same exact shit in Triple X, falls apart. Well, the same, some would argue, it's the actor's chemistry and their real life family, family. feel. All the family. All right, let's that see. So first of all, Mello, also the director of Triple X is the same director of the first Fast and Furious and a few of them, I believe. But so there's all these memes that I keep seeing on the gram, which are basically, so the, my favorite one that I've seen, but I've seen a hundred of these are, it's Thanos and Dom Toretto and the first line of the meme is who would win in this fight? And then the second line is, is family involved? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so apparently family is uh, very important. And I know it was kind of a theme. There's like barbecues and, and Paul Walker is, I think his name's Brian in the movie is Brian's trying to date Jordana Brewster, uh, who is Dom Toretto's Vin Diesel's sister. Sister. Yeah. So there's this like family, it's like, yeah, you're going to become, a... and there's also this family element of the gang. Like the gang is a family and that's also very Italian or basically any, any ethnicity, but there's like the family piece that goes to it as well. Right. But so how is that up. manifested itself today where it's a punchline? So first off, we found out in this movie that Dom Toretto is Hispanic. La- Latino, which... Latino. Don't get me to be careful. It's okay, but Latino. Is oh, or if you want a, hey, if you want to get real woke, go Latin X. 
Okay. Get in there. Don's get in there, bro. Get in there. You only found out because there's flashbacks of his father, which we'll talk about that later. And his father is completely Latinx. And apparently so is Dom Toretto and, and gang. Anyways. Um, I didn't know Diesel was a Latin last name, but. <laughs> well, because they, they allude to it for all these years, but they never come out and say it. You guess it. He wears the chain. I think they try to make him a little extra. There's tailored. a lot of different cultures that wear the chain, though. There's I, a lot I, of Italian men that wear the chain. He says La Familia. Yeah. He says La Familia a lot, but I thought that was because they were in, like, Mexico at the time. So I thought he was just, just kind of running with the culture. But his it started – so in the very first movie, Paul Walker looks at Jordan Brewster and he said, hey, how did the gang come together? And she's like, gang? They don't call themselves a gang. They call themselves a, a, a team. They're a family. And then like four movies later, this family thing comes back. And they're all sitting around and he's like, look around this room. This is your family. And then it just kept coming up and then coming up. And the my favorite meme that I've seen about it is the top is um, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. And they're saying, Dom, no, the T-Rex is too strong. And the next one is Dom with a shotgun in front of the T-Rex saying, but family's stronger. <laughs> they, dude, they even, they even go as far as to explain why. Because um, in this movie, they bring in a brother. Toretto, Vin Diesel has a brother in this movie, and it's the wrestler John Cena. And oh, they, okay. They give like a quick two second. Uh, oh, and I'm really like they're half brothers, and that's why he's pale, right? What was it, Batista? Yeah, yeah. Like he's super white because yeah, they're not full brothers. Fighting. Yeah, half brother, white mama. Yeah, he's. We don't need to look at all alike. Half brother. Yeah. They do a lot of that. Just throwaway comments, like, "Hey, just ignore, ignore this giant plot hole with this throwaway line." Yeah. Like they they show Ludacris breaking into this like giant vault. In the movie that we saw him in, in number two, he was just this like random street thug. And they're like, "How do you know how to break into these vaults?" And he's like, "I had a life before you. I knew you." It's like yeah. a bunch of, a bunch yeah. of problems solved. These are problem solvers. These fast writers, and you have to respect it or not. That's one way to go, but that's uh, that that that's a solution right there. You just you don't know about my life before me before this. And yeah, we'll- and this you should see how they try. It. So obviously, uh, the late great Paul Walker is dead, right? But his he's married to Jordana Brewster in the movie, mm-hmm. her character, and she comes back in this one. Now it's hard to explain why she's back to save the world. Oh, we're saving the world now. We're okay. beyond just fighting thugs. In the past two movies, they've saved the yeah, world. They were stealing TVs in the first one, and now it's DVD. full on espionage. Yeah, they were saving. This player. one, this one, they had to steal some device that could take over every satellite in the world that could take over all the technology in the world. So it's hard to explain why Paul Walker's character's wife would be there, but not Paul Walker. So in this one, they explain it by saying, "Where's Brian?" And they say, "He's watching the kids." That is how they explain her coming back into the movies in his non-existence. One more line. One more line. She goes, "It." He knows it's my turn. <laughs> now, got it. I'm all in. I'm all in. You know what? Because when he died, the first thing that ran through my head is no, no one's more pissed than Jordana Brewster. Nobody. Son of a bitch. God, like, how are they going to write me back in this movie? Because she is not important to the team. Let me tell you. If someone doesn't matter in that franchise, in that universe, it's fucking Mia. 
She's yeah. so important in the first one, though. Yeah, well, she got her first fight scene nine movies in. So, wow. okay. Well, Bob, they're in space now. And Mia, you know, while her, her I don't know what her go-to dish is. I was going to say lasagna, but obviously they just, they alluded to them being land next. And so I don't know. Uh, it's tuna, no crust. Tuna on white, no crust. But yes. There you go. And as you guys are saying this, I guess that's another novelty. Because as you're here, as I'm hearing you guys, there's these certain fast and furious expectations that come up. So you've always got some sort of car stunt, some sort of giant set piece car stunt where Toretto pulls up to a stoplight and looks out the window hard and goes, let's do this. You've got some sort of like family line. That's, a, that's something that is now just an expectation up front. Uh, then you've also got just someone new coming into the cast, AKA the family. Cause you got like John Cena, you like, they're adding the rock in the family. They're adding Statham in the family. Like they're going to, they're just going to keep piling people almost like a Royal rumble style into these movies. Right. Is your question who's next? Because I can go into this. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, <sighs> Mello, I'm going to get into my theory here. Get in there, brother. I'm proud of you, by the way. I want to say I support your theory. And and Bob, being that you're you're catching up on the series here, mm-hmm. this this won't be as impressive to you, but it it should be. If you remember back to the first movie, um, the backstory at the time was that Dom Toretto's dad was dead. Yes, he died in a car race. And because of that, Dom beat up the guy who clipped his bumper and went to jail, gets out of jail, starts the events that unfolded before us and basically creates Dom. Um, In 2016, I think that was when the fifth movie came out, maybe the fourth. I tweeted that by the time the movie franchise ended, Dom Tredo's father was still going to be alive. It was going to be a plot twist. It's set up. It's set up for the next movie. And I'm going to take it one step further. I'm not going to make this as formal with a tweet. I think that guy is going to be played by Sylvester Stallone. So, who I believe they're going to bring into the franchise. That Latinx actor. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. The Italian stallion who is also going to play a Latinx. And Vin Diesel also, I believe, an Italian man. So there's a character within the movie named Mr. Nobody, played by Kurt Russell. He's the CIA operative. Okay. Just... You just got to be okay with that. And he, uh, they brought back a character from Fast 3 named Han who, who we saw die in a car accident. We saw the car flip. We saw him sitting there, and we saw it explode. Well, they decided to bring him back. Okay. And the way, they brought, the way they brought him back was you see him in the car. They do that scene again. The car explodes, and then you just see him standing about 100 yards away, and he's talking to Kurt Russell, Mr. Nobody. And Mr. Nobody says – do you like that magic I pulled? <laughs> and Han goes, not bad. And he says, I've done that move better. And earlier in the movie, we see a flashback of Dom's dad dying, which I believe is all connected and going to bring back Dom's dad in the next movie as Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Now, Bataglia smacks my arm in the middle of the theater right when this scene happens. He goes absolutely crazy because he knows in that moment that Dominic Toretto's father is coming back. And I'm a believer. He's made me a believer. I'm with him. What I'm excited to see is what throwaway line they're going to use to explain how Mr. Nobody knew circa 1975. What, I don't know what year it takes place when his father is raising these kids. 
they, their family's been targeted to be part of <laughs> the, the, the family that's going to go on to save the world from for the next, like, what, two, three decades? Yeah. It's going to be better when it's Sylvester Stallone because it was played by a different actor in this past movie. Okay. I very much, and please screenshot the tweet so I can put it up on the gram so anyone watching can go to our Instagram handle and, and view the tweet timestamped. I really respect the long play there and and I do hope it comes true to you. And then to hypothesize a casting. And I think Stallone makes sense because he's old enough to at least be Vin Diesel's dad. And we're throwing out any sort of ethnicity play there already because uh, I don't think any of these actors are uh, totally Latinx. That's uh, I, I think that's 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 bold, and and I hope it comes true for you. And it 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 really seems it's anything's in play because to the scenario you just described, anybody can come back and they'll just explain it away in a line or two, almost like a soap opera. Like, oh yeah, I had amnesia, and I'm working through it, and here I am again. So that's funny. Amnesia is a major plot point in this series. Okay. <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez's character, she she dies. She also comes back. And they explain her as having amnesia. And it took her two movies, but she got over it. Okay. So, yeah, these are these are soap opera plots. But that's fine. That's fine. Because we're all via, for the action. All via explosion. All via explosion. All yes, these, God. that's it's important to note, common theme, explosion. And every time in Han's situation, he was pulled away. In Letty's situation... She was literally right next to the gas tank that exploded. But instead of incinerating her, it just gently pushed her away. Correct. Like, like an air bubble that slowly and gently brought her 300 feet to the side. Yeah. And all that happened to her, no broken bones, nothing like that, just a little amnesia. Practical sense is pushed aside for drama and plot twists. But who cares? Like you said, the audience is signed up. The Fast and Furious people are in it. And they, they are enjoying the ride. They're laughing at it. It's part of the entertainment is what ridiculous shit are you going to come up with next? Now, I will say, I was talking to Bataglia about this. I think one of the pieces we're missing here is that this is made also primarily for an international audience. Yes. So this is big in China. So those ridiculous stunts, you think about the things that translate between cultures and a lot of jokes are going to miss, right? Like the nuance of language isn't there. When you think about some of the cheesy ass lines that they move, that they use, and then the car moves, the stunts, those are really the only things that can be understood when you use subtitles. Those are the kind of things that you notice and that like, like Kung Fu movies, right? That get translated or like the fighting. We can understand the fighting, everything else. And, and uh, I don't know what they did in terms of the language and the script from that manner. But when you read some of the lines or read it back, like if you have the script in front of you, I think it's meant to be overly cheesy. So it's simplified so that when they translate it, they can continue to make big bucks over in China. Because I think that's where over half their revenue comes from. So, Mello, it's interesting you say that because we had a guest on the podcast uh, last year. And his name is Ben Fritz, and he wrote a movie book called The Big Picture. And it was talking about how Hollywood has transitioned almost fully to branded franchises. So it moved away from, I'm going to see an Adam Sandler movie, 
and moved more towards, I'm going to see a Fast and Furious movie. So people are going to see the brands rather than the stars. And he talks about the, a lot of reasons why that happened. But one of the reasons was the evolution of the China box office. And China started to invest a lot more in culture and, and entertainment in general and started to build a lot more movie plexes and making it more culturally acceptable to go to movies. And so, you know, just by just headcount in China, they predict that in three years, the China box office will gross higher revenues than the American box office. So all of these movie companies, these production companies are very aware. And so they want to try to make as universal of a product as possible to obviously win in those markets. And so Fast and Furious is set up perfectly for Universal. And that's why it's a tentpole. A tentpole holds up all of the other movies that they want to try to produce over the years, right? So the same way um, that basically Fast and Furious is going to help the production of 10 to 12 other movies the same way the football team at the University of Michigan helps prop up the women's field hockey team, the water polo team, and the soccer club, right? And so that's, that's really the, the China box office is a huge deal, and, and these movies are tailored towards that. I love it. love it. Don't get me to it on your day off, Bob. I won't, it. man. I won't. So, yeah, Ben Fritz, that's a, that's a really interesting podcast. Anybody that, that is interested in that type of conversation, he was on uh, last year. It makes so, sense. I'd be interested to see if you watched it, Bob, one day. Maybe you'll crack It'll be on TV. Maybe you turn it on. Maybe you just watch it just to see. So just to see if, if, okay. if you, if you, uh, if you agree. Speaking of parachuting in, Bataglia, could I parachute in and watch Fast Five and watch the, the, the scene with the safe that you're talking about? Could I just watch that without any context of four, three, or two? Uh, no. Actually, you can't. Okay. You would think you could, but you can't. All right. You'd be missing a couple of things. You could and like be like, oh, that's some action. But there are some key plot points you'd miss. Because I think that's what makes these movies scalable is if you can just watch them on their own. And that's that way you can kind of come in at Fast 9. It's, and hard, to, it's hard to ask guys like us that because we appreciate the evolution of the family. So, like, I'm sure you could and you wouldn't miss anything. You'd be able to – it's not hard to be like, oh, she must have had amnesia. But you'd miss out the evolution of the family. Okay. You'd be doing yourself a disservice. Okay. But could I, in, in this space, could I do it? Could it, is it possible? You could. Okay. You, you can put the pieces together quickly. Okay. Cause it seems like there's not a lot of plot from what we're saying earlier that I wouldn't, I would be missing out on. It seems like there's it's be a easier, lot of set pieces. It's easier to watch eight and nine, seven, eight, nine without any of the other ones than it is to watch five. If you go seven, eight, nine, you can just jump in. Water's warm. You're more than welcome. There, but if you if you go to five, you're going to miss some stuff. Seven, that's when it all becomes like, okay, what are they going to – how many buildings are they going to jump cars through? How many cars are they going to land on that are going to break their fall? Nine, I could, I could have watched it four times. I couldn't tell you what the thing's about. So you're good there. Yeah. There's movies that are linked. I think four and five you have to watch as a pair. Six, seven, eight, nine are its own little arc. One and two, three is by itself. Three is just out there. You you want to jump in? Jump in at three, brother. You know what this okay. whole you know what this whole thing reminds me of? You know at the end of um 
uh, 21 Jump Street, or I'm sorry, 22 Jump Street in the okay. credits when they just keep showing all these guys in different movies where it's like 23 Jump Street going yeah, yeah, to culinary yeah. school, 24 going to med school. That's what these movies are like. So the parody of stupid movie plots for extended franchises is what these movies are. Okay, correct. So, so Bob, to give you, a, to build off that exact point, which I think is beautiful. I think that was great. The, the guys that are in three, I don't know if the plan was to maybe make it an anthology where every subsequent movie would be about the theme of racing, but a completely different new set of people. Because three... They have a random kid from Texas that gets booted from school. Mike Winchell. Had a, yeah, he, to avoid jail time, he has to go spend time with his uh, army veteran father who lives in Japan. And so he gets out there and they do a whole different kind of racing because they, the they race. Right. They race through the mountain passes. And so they have to drift. They don't really have straightaways like they do here. Less space, mountain drifting. So... They, that's when the movies were still about the car. They still talk about like, you know, the mechanics of it and all that. But essentially those kids don't fall into the rest of, of the movie, the theme and their skill set because they're supposed to be much younger. They're like high school kids. And where the movies are now, there's no great transition to bring them back into the movies. But, but they found a way. They found a way. So in movie nine, it just so happens that these three kids go on to grow up and start working on rocketry, um, specifically rocketry in combination with normal everyday vehicles, and more specifically a Pontiac Fiero. Okay. So they have they have, and this is this isn't hyperbole. They have a rocket attached to a Pontiac Fiero like duct tape on essentially and then they hit a button and it just shoots the car forward because they're trying to beat a jet on land i think is the goal in the beginning of nine well turns out that that occupation that team of three goes on to be a very important part later on in the movie as the team now needs a way to get into space the family needs to get to space. It's almost like Ernest. Like Ernest goes to camp. Yes. Ernest gets scared straight. The family you know what bothers me the most the about that? Goes to space. Of all the people they send to space, it's Tyrese and Ludacris. Ludacris. They, they send them there in the Pontiac Fiero. Their spacesuits are scuba diving suits held together <laughs> with, literally held together with duct tape. And they get out. Like when they get into space, they get out of their car and they do this thing where they're like, we need to destroy that satellite. So they gun it to drive it right into the satellite. And then they're like, now we're just stranded because we're out of gas. And within two seconds, another spaceship flies by and they're like, hey, we're right here. And it just picks them up. Yeah. So, and even before that, they strap the Pontiac Fiero that's got the rocket strapped out of that. They strap it onto a military jet a cargo plane that brings it up high enough so they can then hit so the rocket. They can gun it. Yeah. But the guys that are flying said military jet are the three high school kids from the Tokyo Drift <laughs> No explanation right. as to a pilot's license, uh, military clearance, 
no, no, they're just there. And I, have, feet I had two questions. So one of them was most ridiculous bit ever in a fast movie. And I think that has to be the answer. I just, and also you, you have to assume the, whatever the most ridiculous bit is has to be in the most recent movie. Cause that's the thing. It's like topping each time we're going to top the last set piece that we did in the previous movie. So I anticipated it, but that there's no way that there's a, a bigger, most ridiculous set piece than that. I will say Bataglia touched on a recurring theme, which is I think more ridiculous in that they've somehow convinced the audience that a speeding car is in some way a way to cushion a fall um, from a great height. And they okay. do it across several movies where Toretto perfectly times you smashing into his windshield after falling 700 feet from the air. Yeah. Essentially, it serves like gym mats under, yeah. under the, the... That's the what we'll see. In, in, well, it's Tokyo is the Olympics this year, so maybe they'll, they'll, they'll call upon the drift, and when Simone Biles finishes her dismount from whatever she's doing, the high bars, she'll dismount onto Dom Toretto's windshield. It'll be just the same as one of those mats. <laughs> so... Uh, last question I had for you guys before we send it off is just your favorite fast character. There's been a billion. You've got Statham. You've got The Rock. You've obviously got some of the old family, if you will. Uh, do you guys have a favorite character throughout the course of these movies? It, mine's a little cliche, but I'm, I'm going to go with Brian O'Connor as played by Paul Walker. And a lot of that's credit to his death. But he also reminds me of a simpler time when these movies granted he was still part of them when they were parachuting out of cars and, and things of that nature. But he also reminds me of when they were going a quarter mile pumping the NOS point break ripoff. Yeah. He was the main character of that first movie. He was the protagonist. He, he had the antagonist. The movie was written for him that he, this franchise was written for him. He was with the director in a different movie, and he said, I want to do something that's got some adrenaline. And this guy said, man, I'm writing a movie that's going to involve street racers, and you guys are stealing stuff. And he goes, I'm going to write it for you. Without him, we're not here today. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going later. Brian O'Connor, a.k.a. Brian Earl Spilner, a.k.a. The Buster. <laughs> Part of the family, question mark? He is the family. Okay. I... I took this question in a different direction because it, it, it's too easy to pick Paul Walker. And, and he is. Patagla is completely right. I can't, I'm not denying any of that, but I love some, the side characters don't get enough love and they're hysterical. They're comical and they're caricatures. Leon from the first film, I think his whole role is to just say things in an oddly raspy uh, voice. And I walkie talkie. He's forcing it. Yeah, like, get over there. You know, he'll say <laughs> shit like that. Um, Hector, the stereotypical Mexican guy that is just there to be a, a, what I would say is a welcoming thug, right? Like uh, A welcoming like, thug. The first time uh, I've ever heard that phrase, but I love A family-friendly thug for the movies, right? For, for the children and the moviegoers. It's almost uh, like when Will Ferrell is saying, I can't remember which movie it is, but he's saying he wants to go sell crack, but be like a nice crack dealer. And he's like, hey, you want some crack? A little crack? I am a nice, I'm going to be a drug dealer, but like a nice thug drug dealer. It's almost <laughs> like Hector is the nice thug. 
right. and they have and then they have uh tram who is the sidekick of the asian mafia that's involved in the first movie he wears the leather snakeskin pants he's only got one or two lines total and they ask him a question like hey tran what do you you know what do you think of this car and he just goes close up five seconds just his face it's an amazing machine and then and it pans off it is hysterical i'm pretty I sure his name's not tran i think you got racist there dude you gotta be careful no, I, I think the actor's name's louis tram okay louis tram what's his name in the movie do you remember uh he's got snakeskin pants he said that's i, I can't remember his name <laughs> lance lance his lance, name is lance. lance that's my cousin lance <laughs> all right uh, my so my favorite characters have to be all the throwaway side characters that they they use they use and abuse you never see them again one one movie <laughs> in and out incredible um also doesn't get enough attention i think maybe because the american audience doesn't know who they are they brought in tigo calderon and don omar which are like huge reggaeton guys and i guess it'd be i'm trying to think of what the american equivalent would be of bringing them on because they were fairly popular for a long time. And when that franchise, when fa they came in on Fast Five, they were kind of at the end of Are their Are they singers? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like okay. Spanish rappers, essentially. Okay. Um, so it'd be so, like putting uh, Eminem and Dr. Dre in the movie. Would it be like putting Tyrese in the movie? Oh, because that's already been done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, do you feel like you had enough runway, pun intended, to state your love for these movies and uh, state your theories? And uh, do you feel like you were heard by the masses? I'm going to answer your question with a question. Are you impelled? Oh, impelled. Are you compelled to start watching the Fast Saga? I will for you try one of these movies. You tell me which one to watch. If it's nine, I'll go to the theater. If it's seven, I'll, I'll rent it on Amazon. You tell me which one to start. Mello's got the five in the hand. I'm going to grant it's five. You got, you got to start at five. I will watch number five for you because we are friends. I think a lot of our conversation is reconfirming some of my preconceived notions on, on the films, but you never know unless you try. So there it is. I will watch five and uh, communicate with you guys. Uh, on the other side. So I will do that for you. I can, I, I will promise, but uh, I appreciate you guys uh, coming on and, and sharing your passion, just knowing the, the foot traffic that happens in the theater when these movies come out versus the art house stuff that I talk about. I'm assuming twice or three times as many people are going to listen to this podcast than when I have the cinematographer for Wes Anderson on. So you guys uh, are, are now officially radio superstars. Congratulations. The um, I also I'd like to throw in the added caveat that I believe the Fast and Furious franchise was the first compelling event that made people break quarantine in masses to join. That's true. To come to theaters. So in a way, family is what cured the world. Correct. And that's the plot point of the next movie is beating the pandemic with space cars. So looking forward to that one, guys, and looking forward to our next chat. Thank you guys for coming on. For uh, anyone that's hanging with us, thank you guys for coming in and listening. I hope you guys had as much fun as we did. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Wash your hands. 
and we will see you down the road. Family. Family. Bye.